Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yes? Um, in my own church, I, I get quite loud, quite passionate at times, so I don't, I don't know what I'll be today. So I just, I just put it out there. I love Jesus with all my heart, so I explain that first. Tonight I'll be um, sharing my story, but those of you that aren't going to be there tonight, I'll quickly give you 30 seconds. Um, I'm an ex-gang member, ex-drug dealer. Uh, my daughter died. I tried to commit suicide. I became an addict of about 200 pounds a day of cocaine. No longer wanted to live. Walked into a church one day, realized there must be more to life than this. Found Jesus to be Lord. There's only one God. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And so I decided that I'd dedicate my life to serve him. I then um, got involved in church things. Um, I became an associate pastor, as Steve mentioned. Um, I had a falling out with the pastor. I was fresh. I was new. I was from the streets. And I just thought it should have been done somewhat different. I threatened to burn down his house. And <laughs> I, just, I just went off on one. And um, I still needed to learn about Jesus. And so for two years, um, I was so angry. And I said, I'll never go to church again. And so I said, I, I hate Christians, but I love God. Well, that doesn't work. Because the Bible says, if you can't love your brother who you can see, how can you love God who you can't see? So I was kind of like in this like early stage of my walk, trying to find um, where I fit. But what I found was in the gangs, they would die for you. But in the church, it felt like they, they talked about you. And like somebody stabbed me in the back. And I allowed them into my circle of trust. And they just broke my trust. And yet I knew in the gangs, that I, had, I had something different there. And so I found this thing that if, if we could incorporate a gang life and Holy Spirit together, uh, the church would be dynamite. And so in our church, we always say hashtag gang mentality. We're a family, but we're hashtag gang mentality. So when it kicks off, we all get together. It's just we don't fight against flesh and blood. And so we come together to pray. And so two years I was out of church, but in those two years I learned what true forgiveness was. I would never be standing on this stage today if I hadn't learned what true forgiveness was. If you're someone in the, the seats today and you've got this unforgiveness in your heart, it will make you bitter. You need to get rid of it. You need to get rid of it. And so I learned what true forgiveness was. Three years ago, I became the pastor of Londonderry Baptist Church. Uh, there was 25 of us to start. Um, I promised God every time I stood up, I would share the gospel alongside whatever message I gave. That way, God knew where he could send those that didn't know him. Because he knows every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, there's a place called Londonderry where the gospel of Jesus Christ will be shared no matter what. And what he started to do is he started to send the people in. In the first year, 41 people gave their lives to the Lord. There were only 25 in the church. 41 gave their lives to the Lord. In the second year, 38 people gave their lives to the Lord. In the third year, 96 people gave their lives to the Lord. The church has grown over 200. We planted a church, an Iranian church, um, in February. We planted another church up in Birmingham, just been given the keys to a new building. And uh, we're planting a Brazilian church at this stage as well. God has just taken 
Uh, and I always say he's just taken this nobody and made something out of it. God takes the foolish things of the world. God takes those that everybody else says you'll never amount to anything. My teachers would say to me at school, you're going to end up in prison, Aaron. Well, they were nearly right. They were nearly right. I was in a lot of prison cells, and I don't mean physical ones. I mean inside, I was in many. But there was one that set me free out of those. And so today, I know I talk about him because he's my best friend. I, I give everything to him. I, I want to die preaching the gospel. I hope I don't die today. Yes, if you're new to church, that wouldn't be a great start. <laughs> At the same time, if I did die today, I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? I want to talk about a word called prayer because everybody says to me, how, does, how do you like 25 people turned like times 10? And now I do these conferences up and down the country called fire starters because God said something to me and so I just went for it. I try to help God out by the way don't try and help God out just let him do it he's so much better than we are but anyway that's a different subject uh, but now I just got this passion in my heart that says I'm going to go and tell the world about Jesus and so I'm, I'm learning a lot of things along the way I, I must say right now I'm not perfect I certainly haven't got all the answers so don't anyone go away thinking that I think that if you do it our way, that's the way. I, I, I certainly don't. What I am is obedient to what I believe God called me to do. And so that's all we can be is obedient to what God has called us to do as a church. And for us, and I do believe there's a principle in this, for us, God called us to prayer. The DNA of our church is prayer. So we had three prayer meetings uh, three, four years ago. Now we have up to 50 people turning up on a prayer meeting. We fast and pray every single day. For the last two and a half years, we have fasted as a church every day. Obviously, I don't do every day. I would be dead. But we were in our church. What we do is, say we've got 20 of us. Just say there's 20 of us that sign up and say, I will fast. Okay? You fast every Monday for the year. You fast every Tuesday for the year. You fast every Wednesday for the year. Thursday for the year. Friday for the year. Nobody wants to do Saturday and Sunday. Give it to the pastor and the leadership. <laughs> Saturday and Sunday, you guys fast. And all we do is we fast and pray for salvation and unbelief to leave the church. Why? Because I believe in... Some may disagree, but I believe the God that opened the blind eyes is still opening blind eyes today. I spend a bit of time in Africa. I'm going back to Kenya and Uganda in June, July time. And I do crusades out there and we just preach the gospel and we go into areas where they don't know Jesus, Muslim areas, and we tell them, Muhammad's not the answer. Jesus is. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There's no other way. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. I am a religious nut. I am crazy for Jesus. I, I, I am crazy for Jesus. Why? Because he rescued me. He saved me. I was going to be dead in the ground. I was lost. I was gone. And he set me free. How do you see 25 people turn into 200 plus and four churches in? Like this time last year, we were one church. Now we're four churches, and yet we're still one church. You know, I was with about 10 of your guys yesterday, and we had food together, and we worshipped in the back. 
And I was speaking to my wife on the phone as I went back. And I just said, there's something incredible about being a Christian. It doesn't matter where you go. When Christians get together, it's like you've always known each other. You're just connected by that same spirit. And we worshipped together and we prayed together. And it was like this was my church. But yet we're just one church. And as one church, we need to pray. And so my message today is all about prayer. And so I want to passionately tell you how great prayer is. And like you could be like, oh, prayer, I've heard these talks loads. Well, start obeying them then. Start doing them. Because there's a lot of lost people out there. They're, they're not all saved yet. And so what's the greatest evangelistic tool that we've got as a church? It's to pray. It's to get to our knees. You can never pray in excess. You can never pray too much. And so I just want to talk a little bit, two things really. There's the engine room. I call it the engine room of the church. No church is greater than its prayer life. So the engine room of the church, and yet at the same time, the second point is the secret place for you as an individual. So there's two things. There's like the church corporately praying together, uh, and maybe fasting together. I was loving the fact you're doing 24-hour prayer. Wasn't loving the fact about the half 10 in the morning to half 10 at the evening. That is 12 hours. The musician picked that up really well. I must admit, I didn't leave school with any education, but... I picked that one up straight away. <laughs> that aside, I thought you was really good. I, don't, I can't see her anywhere. She's not in the room. From, great. She's out the room. Don't tell her this bit. I've got more jokes about her now. She's not in the room. There was another one she did. The square one. Come on. How old? Anyway. Sunday morning, Sunday morning will tell you how popular... Your churches. Sunday evening will show you how popular the pastor is. And prayer evening will show you how popular God is. How popular is God in this church? And I want to challenge you today. Everything I say is on my head, not on Steve's head, okay? Don't shout at him if you don't like what I preach today. I'm in for the day and then I'm out. Okay, I leave him to pick up the pieces. If I don't get invited back, I don't get invited back. I didn't come here to make friends. I did in a bit, in a way I came to make friends. But in another way, all I want is you to grab hold of something and run with it and change the world. I want you to change this area. There's a young lady, I say young lady, a lady. She was praying yesterday, oh Lord, change this city. This city needs you. It's true, this city needs Jesus. Just like Birmingham needs Jesus, just like Manchester and London, just like Amsterdam and Berlin, the whole world needs Jesus. And they don't even know it. It's a train wreck. It's a car crash waiting to happen. And the people out there don't even know it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world. The church has been a thermometer for too long. What's a thermometer? It simply accepts the temperature. It just tells you what the temperature is. And yet the church needs to be the thermostat that starts to dictate the temperature. The spiritual temperature, it needs to be lifted up. It needs to be increased. It needs to be hotter. How do you do it? Get into the engine room and pray. But you'll never get into the engine room if you don't have your own prayer life. I don't care if you've been a Christian 60 years and you say, What's this young man telling me to do? 
Like, you know, you can still be backslidden at 60. You can still be backslidden at 70. It's not how you start a race. It's how you finish a race. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, follow me for so long, then stop, retire, and have the next few years off. You know, the, the more mature of us in the room, we've got so much to give. Don't ever think I'm passing on the baton now and it's my time to retire. No way. Steve mentioned the guy called John Bedford. He was still, still giving everything at 81. Still giving everything. If he wasn't preaching, although he was preaching still everywhere. But he was still in his time. He was putting into people. He was getting alongside them and growing them. That's the only bit of passing the baton on. You grow the generation under you to go further. And you say, God... My ceiling, make it their floor in Jesus' name. We want people to be better than us. We want people to go further than us. We need to give them this DNA of prayer. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. It really is the battle. And I I thought about something not too long ago, and I I, I preached it somewhere else, and I just said, church, if, if there was a house fire... If there was a house fine, you can hear a whole lot of children screaming. I guarantee you'd, you'd turn off Coronation Street. You'd stop watching the football. You'd stop it. You'd run outside your house. You'd get to that house and you'd do everything you can to save those children. You'd do everything you can to save those children. And yet, what are we doing for the lost today? What do, I don't mean once a year. I mean, what are we doing for the lost? We must be consistent, like so focused, so blinkered. Like, I'm running after the lost. I'm running after them. And you're not necessarily an evangelist, but every single one of us is a witness. Every single one of us can pray. That's for sure. We can all come together and pray and we can fall to our knees and we can say, God, save them. Open their eyes. They don't know you, but they need to know you. Jesus, save them. Save them. Why don't we start praying like Jesus really died for us? Why don't we start praying as if we really believe Jesus is the way, the truth and the life? Not just have our own little circles and like, yeah, we're doing well, like skipping along the road, holding arms, linking arms. Like, yeah, Christians, woo! Be there, be square, grow up, Aaron. Like, come on, time to get to our knees and pray. God, I'm going to pray as if I really believed that your son, Jesus Christ, came, died and rose again for me. That he is the answer, he is the way. There is no other way. There is no other way. I went to one place and I, I couldn't stop saying this same saying that hell's still hot today. And like in the room, it's like split down the middle. Some say, I'm not sure of a good God, mate. My Bible says it's a real place. My Bible says it's a real place. What I know for sure is Jesus. He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life. No other way. Why do you keep saying it, Aaron? Because it's the truth. It's the truth. And as, as we say, there's something about, keep saying it out. There's something about telling the devil, devil, the kingdom of God has arrived. 
I'm going to declare the truth and I'm not going to stop. And this became my prayer. Genesis 30 verse 1. There's a little twist to it, otherwise it wouldn't make sense. Rachel said to Jacob, give me children, else I die. Give me children, else I die. Two and a half years ago, it became my heart cry. God, give me souls, else I die. And I mean it. If I lead no one else to Jesus, Jesus, take me home. I don't need to be here no more. I've done my job. When my mission's complete, I'm ready to go home. I've got a daughter waiting in heaven. I can't wait to wrap my arms around my daughter, Megan. But you know what I do first? I'll go to Jesus first. I'll fall at his feet and I'll say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you did to me, for me. Then I'll call to my daughter. But I tell you this, the moment I lead no one else to Jesus, my mission's over. I've done what I've done. I'm ready to go. That's the way I live my life. That's the way I believe we should as a church live our life. We sell ourselves out for the mission. We leave nothing behind. We leave nothing behind, nothing at all. So when our time comes and we stand before Jesus, we hear, come in my good and faithful servant. Come in my good and faithful servant. I gave it all for you, Jesus. I gave it all. Some of us can't even imagine what it would be to die for Jesus because we haven't even started living for him. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. It's, it's just like so many people, I, I led a lady to the Lord, she was 70 plus. She'd been going to church for 20 years. She'd been sitting in the congregation for so long and I always give her a gospel message at the end and an altar call and this 70 year old lady responded as she raised her hand to say, I want to give my life to Jesus and inside I'm thinking, did you, Really? All that time she'd sat there and no one had ever told her the gospel. No one had ever told her the gospel. You see, the power's in the gospel. The power's in the word of God. It never goes out and returns void. Let Jesus do what he does. It's Holy Spirit that convicts. You've just got to share it. It's not on you. Don't get embarrassed. Jesus never got embarrassed for us. He, He bled hanging there naked. He didn't get embarrassed for us. He died for us, knowing full well what was going to happen to him. He gave his life for us, that we could be embarrassed. Don't get embarrassed. In your secret times, pray. As a church, pray. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Let your life preach it. When necessary, use words. If the church doesn't get on the offensive, though, the mosques will. I saw a kingdom hall down there. And as I was walking up, there was a lot of suited and booted people going into the kingdom hall. If the church doesn't get on the offensive, the kingdom halls will. They get on every street corner, put their little books there, knock on every door. No wonder they keep doing it because they win Enough people to keep doing it. And yet, we, we, for whatever reason, we're a bit embarrassed. We, we don't want to get out there. Not everyone's an evangelist. I understand that. Everyone's a witness. Everybody can pray. If you're not called to get out on the streets, you're called to get in the church and get on your knees. 
Like, there's a part for us all. There's a part for every single one of us. Nobody has been called to just sit on the sideline and watch. Jesus didn't die that you can sit on the sideline. Jesus died that you get involved. There's an army rising. There's an army rising. Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 verse 10. You'll see that Hannah, she was provoked by her rival. She couldn't have children. There's something about when a woman wants a child. Like Rachel said, give me children, else I die. And, and Hannah, it says that she didn't eat. She literally, she fasted and she wept and she cried. And verse 10 says, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord. Bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. When was the last time you wept in anguish for the lost? When was the last time you wept in anguish for someone like me that didn't know Jesus, who was a gang member and selling drugs? When was the last time you wept for a waster and nobody like me that God had a plan for that he wanted to turn around a young man's life, transform him and show the world it's not by his might, it's not by his godliness, but it's by almighty God what he can do. Nobody's too far gone. If you've got people in your family that are addicted to drugs, they're not too far gone. If you've got daughters that have strayed, they were brought up in church, but now they've gotten off. They're living in a relationship that's not godly. They're not married, living together, having children, etc., etc. They're not too far gone. Keep praying. Don't stop. Don't stop. There's a, a parable of the persistent widow. She kept going and going. How much more will God answer his people? How much more? Keep praying. And let's pray this prayer. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Like, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Charles Spurgeon said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. It shows what he thinks about prayer. You, if If what you call it, Leonard Ravenhill was still alive, you talk to him about prayer. He'd tell you the importance of prayer. What did the disciples say? Jesus, teach us to pray. They didn't say teach us to preach. They said teach us to pray. Matthew 6 says when you pray. There's something about praying that's so important. You know, so many people, they say their prayers, but do they really pray? There's a difference between saying your prayers and praying. There's a difference between anguish of soul and like weeping, like bitterness. Was it William Booth, the Salvation Army guy? There was these two people, they'd started a church and they they messaged him. They sent him a message and they said, we tried to see a move of God. We're doing everything to see a move of God. It's not happening. What can we do? His response was, Try tears. Try tears. Like, cry for them. When was the last time you cried for anyone? When was the last time you cried for the lost? Genuine question. Rhetorical in the sense that don't put your hands up. Otherwise, you're like just such a holy place because everyone's hands are like, I've been crying all this time. Like, when was the last time you truly cried for the lost? You ask yourself that, and now you ask yourself the same question. Am I really serious about the Great Commission? Am I really serious about it? Not, not how you're getting on and your family. Like, praise God if you and your family are saved. But my family's down the road not saved. 
If, if we're together, if we're one church, we've got to pray for one another. We've got to pray for the lost out there. Someone's daughter's dying today. As I talk, how many people, how many people have passed away and gone eternity away from Jesus? How many? Like, I don't know the numbers, but I guarantee they'd be huge. And some of us haven't cried for years and years and years. And there will be people in this room that have never cried out for the lost. You've probably never even prayed for the lost from there. Or, or, or deep down, we just say our prayers. We just say the Christian prayer. Oh Lord, save the world. How, how many times do we just pray like that? When was the last time it drove you to your knees that you said, oh God, save them? There was a man called John Hyde. He was known as John Praying Hyde. I see Steve nodding his head. He's going to know about him. Like Steve, I don't know anyone that reads more books than him, has more head knowledge than him. Like, I, I don't know. He's probably the most intellectual friend that I've got. Like, honestly, that there's nothing I can say that He's not already read in terms of looking in the past at people. But John Praying Hyde, he was a man that would just, he spent so much time face down on the floor praying for the lost, praying for the lost, praying for the lost. His doctor said to him, whatever you're doing, you need to stop. It's having an adverse effect on your health. But he wouldn't stop. At 46 years of age, he died. When they did an autopsy, his heart had literally shifted from this side to this side. His heart had shifted in his body. You see, when there's anguish and distress, internal anguish, internal praying, internal life, oh Lord, save them. When something internal is happening like that, it has eternal effects. Like John Praying Hyde. Where are the John Praying Hydes today? When was the last time you said, I'm going into a room? Daniel Nash. We know Charles Finney. He's like the, the great evangelist. Do you know Daniel Nash? He's the guy that went first with someone else. They'd go into an area and they'd pray. And they'd pray. And when breakthrough happened in the spirit, then they'd say to Charles, Charles, now it's time to preach. Then he comes up, preaches the gospel. What came first? Prayer. Every revival has been born out of prayer. Every revival. Every revival. And too many people in the church say prayer is boring. That's why your prayer evenings are no more than 10 people. Now, I don't know how many people come to your prayer evenings. I would suspect, if it's like any other church I've been to, or lots of churches I've been to and preached in, there won't be many more than 10 that come. If 10 came... Good day. If 20 came, Steve would fall over. I could be wrong. I might at the end get told, actually, yeah, and we've got a really great prayer life. Praise God, let me encourage you to go even deeper. Let me encourage you to go further. Let me encourage you, there's always more. If 20 of you come or 30 of you come, I see another 70 people. Church, let's pray. Let's pray like we really mean it. Let's pray like we really mean it. The God of Elijah. Where is he? Where's the God of Elijah? Guess what? He's gone nowhere. He's still in the same place. He sits on the throne. The God of Elijah hasn't moved. But where's the Elijahs of God? It's another sermon. It's a different sermon. But let's go there. Where's the Elijahs of God? He was a man just like us. 
He was a man just like us, same nature as us. He was a man just like us and he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prayed and the heavens gave rain. Elijah was a man just like us. He was a praying man. He's no greater. He's just a man. But he had a desperation. He had someone inside of him. He had a secret life with God. And we should talk about a secret life while we have a bit of time. He, he had a secret life. So it was just, I'm going I'm to spend my life with you, God. Like, you're everything to me, God. Where are the Elijahs of God today? Where are they? Some people say their prayers, but do they really pray? I said it earlier. I mean it. Like, Elijah didn't just say prayers. He prayed. He prayed, you don't shut up the weather for three and a half years if you didn't pray. Like, he knew God. Leonard Ravenhill. Like, probably, I, I love his teachings. And he said, no man. He said, I don't care how colossal his intellect. No man is greater than his prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. And I learned something. You know the secret the, the secret to praying, it's praying in secret. That's the secret to praying, it's praying in secret. It's a secret life. It's a secret life. In Matthew 6, and I, I won't read it out, but Matthew 6 verse 5, actually I might do. Yeah, let, let's read it. It's always, but every word of God's worth listening to, not every word of me is. And that, ain't that the truth? You ask my wife that. Matthew 6 verse 5 says, and when you pray, straight away, and when you pray. It's not an if you pray, it's and when you pray. Remember the disciples, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, talking about the Pharisees at the time. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Praying big, long prayers, nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with praying big, long prayers. If you're one of those people that has like the greatest, biggest, longest sentences going and you use words that no one else knows, don't worry about that. Nothing wrong with that if the heart's right. There's something wrong when you pray a certain way that people would look to you. And woe isn't he. You know, sometimes I remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, I thought I couldn't pray out loud because... I used to call Jesus JC. That's just, that's just where I was from. And I was, uh, my mates used to say to me, you, you at football this week? And I said, oh, no, I'm going to JC's. Like, I just, I didn't know. I can't tell I'm going to church. So I used to call him JC. Jesus Christ, if anyone's just like, what's your name about JC? <laughs> but anyway. And so I would just pray the way I talk. And that's, so when I listened to these people doing all these huge prayers and these words, like real long words, like I was just like, I can't do it. Sometimes the new believer just needs to hear you say, Lord, I love you with all my heart. Thank you for what you've done. Amen. Everyone's included. Everyone's needed. Everyone. Sometimes when, we, when we go off like the Pharisees used to, like stick their chest down and look how good I am. It makes some of us newbies just like, I can't be that person. You're not meant to be that person. You're meant to be who God's called you to be. Verse 6 says, but you, when you pray, when you pray, go into your room 
And when you've shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Your father's in the secret place. Like Jesus says, go into the secret place. This is just your prayer life now. Not corporately as a church. This is just you and God. Go into the secret place. Shut the door. When you get there, guess who's waiting for you? The father. Like, it's the best place. Like, it's the greatest place. Like, James the Just, they said he had camel knees because he spent so much time on his knees. There was a guy that I read about that when he died, they looked by the side of his bed and in his wooden floor he had two grooves where he'd been praying and saying, God, come God. I want that. Like in our prayer evenings, I said this in the church, I was just praying and go. I was going for it and I said, God, like you know Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he had blood, drops of blood come out of his, in his sweaty like It was a real medical condition. Like he was in so much anger, so much stress, the, the blood started coming out with his sweat. I was praying and I said in our prayer evening, I said, God... At the end of this prayer evening, I want it to look like a crime scene. I want it to look like a crime scene. The following week, my wife came out of there with a bloody nose. And I was like, come on! Come on! Like, I don't know if it's because she was like proper going forward in prayer, but I like to think that's what it was. I want more blood, sweat and tears in the prayer room, in the engine room. You you know what I pray. This is what I believe. You know when I get out of bed, I don't think I'm someone great by the way. But I'm a man that prays. I won't stop praying. I pray, 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 pray. Why? Because I know it's the way. When I get out of bed, I believe Satan gets up and says, Oh no, Aaron's out of bed. That's what I want for the church. I say Londonderry, that's the church I pastor, Londonderry. When we get out of bed, I want the devil to say, oh no, Londonderry just got out of bed. Londonderry just got out of bed. It'd be quite staggered. It would be quite staggered, our area that we live in. We're seeing a lot of new believers come who still think two o'clock in the afternoon's okay. Like, get a job! Put in. Like, come on. Andrew Murray. Another man that Steve will know. He quotes him word for words. He said, oh, let the place of secret prayer become the most beloved spot on earth. Acts. Let me jump into Acts quickly. Acts chapter 5. No, chapter 12. It was Peter's moment of need. Peter's moment of need, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter's been thrown in prison in his hour of need, in his hour of need, his moment of need. What are the church doing? What are the church doing? Verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison 
But constant prayer, constant prayer was offered up to God for him by the church. Another version said, earnestly, the church were praying for him. There's a lost world out there. It's their hour of need. Another one just died. Another one just died. Another one just died. Another one just died. You're okay. You got your ticket. Another one just died. Another one just died. Another one just died. How many more have to die before we pray? How many more have to die before we act like Jesus really died for us? Like we really believe it. Like we really believe he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Don't worry if you don't like the way that I do things. Don't worry about that. Listen to the words here. Not everybody likes a shouter, but I'm just passionate about Jesus. I don't know if I told you, but he rescued me. He saved me. I was going to die. I was going to die. For Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Early church. I'm running out of time, but the early church, chapter 8. And I'll paraphrase. Chapter 8, verse 26, Philip, an angel, I've, I've said this, I haven't said it for a while, but it's so true. An angel, verse 26, says to Philip, Philip, go to such and such a place. Verse 26, verse 29, Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to the Ethiopian eunuch, the chariot, go to the chariot. And what Aaron? So the angel said in verse 26, and the Holy Spirit said in verse 29, what's your point? My point is the early church knew the voice of Holy Spirit so well that Philip could distinguish between an angel's voice and the voice of Holy Spirit. Three verses, same day. Like, go there. Okay, angel, I'm on. It doesn't say anywhere that the angel appeared. It just said the angel spoke. The angel spoke to him. Philip knew it was the voice of an angel and went that way. When he gets there, he hears another voice and he knows it's the voice of Holy Spirit. How does he know? Because he spent time in the secret place. The early church, that's what's the difference. The early church knew Holy Spirit. They knew God in a way we don't. They spent so much time with him. They lived as if Jesus really died on a cross for them. They really did live it. They believed it in every single way. And church, that's what we've got to do. That's the place we've got to go to. If my wife phones me, it doesn't matter what phone she phones me from. She can phone me from Jamie's. I would have words with him if she phoned me from his phone because I don't know why she'd be on his phone. Now, you don't know Jamie. Jamie, how do you know my wife? Anyway, so if my wife phoned me from anyone's phone... As moment I hear a voice, I say, oh, Helen, what's the matter? The moment I hear a voice, I'm not going to say, oh, whose number's this? The moment I hear a voice, I say, Helen, she can phone me off a withheld number. The moment I hear a voice, I say, Helen, I've known Jamie not that much, 24 hours and a little bit through emails and stuff. If he phoned me, I might not recognize his voice. So who's this? Jamie, oh, Jamie, how you doing, mate? That's what the church needs to be, the voice of God. We recognize his voice so much. Why? Because we spend so much time with him. We don't just fit him in on a Sunday. 
We don't just fit you in on a Sunday. I'm so glad, by the way, that you don't use your front seats. In my church, they, they know to go second seat backwards. I'll get passionate and spit on them all. <laughs> I should have warned you about that. I'm so sorry if I've caught you a few times. <laughs> There's a fruit of the Spirit called patience. Patience. We're told to wait on God. Throughout the Bible, it says a lot of times, wait on God, wait on Him, wait on Him, wait on Him. You know, the, if a buzz, if we need to catch the buzz, we wait when the buzz doesn't turn up. Guarantee you, let's say, church, you're going on holiday. You're all at the airport. Kids and all, baggage, the lot. They say, your plane's been delayed five hours. How many of you just say, five hours delayed? I'm not going on holiday then. Get the bags, we're going home, sweetheart. I don't think so. You are going to wait there, but you want God to answer everything in five minutes. You want God to answer everything on your terms. Get in the secret place. Get in the secret place and put him top of your priorities. Jesus used to climb up a mountain. He used to go up on the hillside to go and have time with the Father. He'd take himself away. Get this picture. Say, Jesus is at the top of the mountain. The further you go up the mountain, the less things you need to carry. Okay? Less things you want to carry as you climb a mountain. Less things you want to carry when you go up a hill. You've got to die to self. You've got to die to time. You've got to die to all these things. Start getting them off you. Get them off you. Get them off you. Get them off you. So the, the closer you get to God, the less of the world is around you. The less of the things you're carrying. And there's just you and God. You get in that secret place. You get to hear his voice. You get to know who he is. You get to live your life the way he's called you to do. And you put him first in all things. Now, I love my family loads, but they know God comes first. I love God, family, church. That's the order. God, family, church. That's the order. Don't ever get it mistaken. God is top of my list. He comes before my children. And some people say, I can't do that. How can you love God more than you love your children? You don't understand. When you love God with everything and he pours his love on you, he gives you an even greater love for your children than you had before. And yet still my priority is God is top of my list. Why? Because he's everything. I don't know if I told you, but he saved me. And before I leave the 99 and run after the one just in case, because I promise God, I promise God wherever I go, I always leave the 99 and run after the one. Even if you're a church full of believers, don't worry. One thing, if we preach the gospel all the time, God knows where he can send them. For those of you that know Jesus Christ as Lord, please don't forget to pray today. Shall I tell you why? Because Jesus didn't forget to wake you up. He didn't forget to wake you up this morning. Don't forget to pray today. I want to challenge you, church, to get to your knees together corporately and pray for the last like you really believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for you, that you really believe he's the way, the truth and the life. Don't worry about the way I deliver it. Hear the words and know that he's everything. He, he did it for you. There's a world out there that needs to know him. There's a world out there that needs to know him. And then there's someone else. It's called a secret life of prayer. You won't Get into an engine room if you have no secret life of prayer. It must become, it must become a lifestyle. Fasting has become a lifestyle for the people of Londonderry. Not because 
it's all we love not having food. It's nothing like it's become a spiritual discipline. You can't run a marathon tomorrow. You've got to train, 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 train yourself. Spend time with God. Spend time, even if you start off five minutes every day, just me and God. I close my door, I get to my knees, and I start, what do I pray about, Aaron? I think there's a million things you can thank God for. Spend time thanking him. The Spirit will take you wherever else he wants to go. And so I leave the 99 for a moment, and I run after the one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You heard at the beginning of this talk, I was, a, I was a man that was lost, completely lost, no hope. I've got nothing. What a great church to be in, Hope Church. And I just think, like, I come from a place of no hope. And now I'm in a place where it's Hope Church. Like, it, just, it just says it everything for me. But, but I felt I had nothing. I had nothing to, to give. This world didn't need me anymore. And I went to take my own life. I found Jesus to be the truth. I found him to be the one that rescues. And so the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. You know, Jesus came on the greatest rescue mission the world has ever seen. God is glory. God is so holy. And God wants a relationship with us. But there's something called sin that stops that relationship. So Jesus picks up this wall of sin, places it on his back, gets on the cross and dies for us. Is the ultimate sacrifice. He pays the price that me and you deserve. Dying on the cross wasn't the biggest thing. Lots of people died on the cross in those days. But no one else rose again. Why did Jesus? Because he's God. He defeated death on the cross. He defeated death on the cross for you. That you may turn from sin and follow him. So there's a word called repentance. Repentance simply means I'm looking this direction. I'm going after life this way. But now I turn to Jesus. It's more than just sorry. It's more than just sorry, forgive me of my sins. It is that, but it's turning to Jesus and saying, now God, I come after you. Jesus says, come just as you are. He doesn't say, try and get yourself sorted, then come to him. He says, come just as you are. If there's anybody in this room today that says, I want to know this Jesus you talk about. I need to exchange my old life for a new life. I'm not talking to those that know him. I'm not talking to you if you're a Christian or if you gave your life to God last week. You need to know you're a Christian. Start walking in it and know it. But if there's anybody in this room today that's come to church maybe for the first time and they're like, there's something missing in my life. It's this, this shape in your, in your soul, in your stomach that only God can fill. You've tried sex, you've tried drugs, you've tried all things. Nothing else fills it. Only one will quench that thirst. It's Jesus. Exchange your old life for a new life. If there's anybody in this room that says, that's me. Church, I just want to ask that you just bow your heads one minute and just close your eyes. And while every head is bowed and every eye closed... I'm not going to ask anyone to come out the front or anything like that. But if you are someone here today and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, while every head is bowed and every eye closed, between me, you and God, would you just raise your hand that I may see? I just want to give you that opportunity. 
bless you, my brother. Bless you, my sister. If there's anybody else that says, I, I want to be like that man, I want to be like that, that woman. And I want you to know, those that have raised your hand, I want you to see either me at the end, if you, have a, if you don't know any of the leaders here, if you don't know any of the leaders here, come and see me and I'll take you to them. But you must see somebody today. Don't walk out of this place. If today you've just given your life to God for the first time or you're coming back to him, whatever your walk is, whatever your walk is, you can place your hands down. Whatever your walk is, don't leave this place today without having someone pray with you. What you've just done is you've said, I exchanged my old life for a new life. It said, I'm born again. It's about your heart. It wasn't about a hand, by the way. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. It's, a, it's about your heart saying, God, I want you. I choose you. Now, church, what we do in our church, we celebrate when people give their lives to the Lord. Why? Because the Bible says uh, in heaven, the angels rejoice over one sinner. And so these two people that have responded to the gospel today, let it be who you are as a church. Every time someone gives their lives to God, we just celebrate. So can we just join in with the angels in heaven right now and give almighty hand to God, the one who saves. Amen. Again, I must stress, if, if, you, if you know the people in this church and you're one of those that raised your hands, see a leader. Don't go. If it's your first time here and you don't know a leader, well, the leaders didn't see your hands up, you see. So come and see me and I will take you straight to them. Or you've seen Steve stand on the stage. You've seen Jamie stand on the stage. Okay, we'll go to them. They're the ones that are going to help disciple you in your, your walk with Jesus. It's the greatest walk. It's the greatest thing ever. One thing, one thing, Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.